Welcome, everybody. My name is Ken Seaton, co-founder of Athletes Touch with Justin Blaine. Welcome to the Tower of Power podcast that we've got coming at you right now. We're an exclusive community helping former pro and college athletes in the business world get ready to rocket fuel your ship, professionally speaking. I'm here. Justin, go ahead and take it away. If you like great stories, sports, and success, you're in the right place. Buckle up and join us for a great ride. We're talking to viral gymnastic sensation Caitlin Ohashi about living a purpose-driven life on and off the mat. We're diving deep into her love for a challenge and why this gymnast is grateful for the injury that ended her Olympic dream. So, Caitlin, take us through the time, the period, I think it was, what, January 2019-ish, when this kind of exploded, something you've been doing for however long, 12 years, and all of a sudden you're like an overnight success, which is obviously not the case, but take us to that point and what that whole experience was like. First, I want to say 19 years of my life, not 12. Uh, Started when I was three, and so to be recognized for collegiate gymnastics is something that you don't see too frequently. So it was really cool just to kind of be able to showcase everything that I've been working for and create a new path of success because success looks so different to everyone. And I think it gave younger girls something else to aspire for because the Olympics is kind of so hard to reach. Four girls make it every four years. It's not super tangible for a lot of people. And I know the Olympics was something that was in my path for a really long time until injuries. And so, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, thank you for correcting me. I knew you had started at three or I read that. I knew you were on the national team for about 12 years or so in the spotlight, right? Um, When I was 12 12 years old, I made the national team. And so I was on the national team for four years until I was 16 and had a, a really bad back and shoulder injury. So I was out for two years. Okay, so we'll talk about the child prodigy years in a minute. So go back now. Obviously, your routine, you mastered it. Uh, It was new to people who were coming into the scene who maybe weren't as familiar with college gymnastics. But to you, you'd probably been training or had done the choreography for months or years. What was was that like? Or how did you come up with the routine heard around the world? So – my junior year, my routine actually went viral on Facebook, and it was taken down at 80 million views for copyright issues. And so going into my senior year, it was kind of like, how can we one-up the routine from last year? And it was an all-Michael Jackson mashup. And so it was like six of us at a table, and we were spewing out different floor music. And mind you, our season starts in January, but most of the athletes get their routines by October. We were in October and we were still trying to figure out music. November rolls around. We finally have the final cut of music, which took a really long process. When the music was cleared, it was about winter break and we were all going home. And so I'm in Washington State. My coach is in California and we're on FaceTime just trying to come up with choreography. And when we come back, we have about a week before our first meet. And so I was actually still tweaking my floor routine the first meet. And so I, I, how I work with choreography is like, I kind of freestyle for about a month and my coach would be like, I like that. I like that. And we'll just like mash this thing together. So it's really a expression of who we all are. And Miss Val, 
she was the UCLA coach for 30 something years. She was really good at making sure each routine was individualized and could really show our personalities. So it's one thing to devise a routine and a game plan and, and work with your coaches. It's another to execute it. What was the execution and a perfect 10 score? What did that do for you or how did it make you feel? So, I mean, every gymnast kind of strives for the perfect 10. So it's really amazing to get, but I've realized so the routine you guys just watched was actually my favorite team that I've ever done in my life. And I didn't get a 10.0. So it was something that you learned that even though something seems really amazing, you don't have any input to what the judge sees or how they feel about it. So our sport's completely subjective. And that's what I learned is so beautiful about a 10, but also so it's downfall. So I've got 11 career 10s, and that one was kind of like a shock. That was my first time completing the, competing the split double A. It, there was a lot that went into it. I didn't rehearse it as many times as you think, but I think when I perform, it's me and the floor and the audience, and I feed off of the crowd so much, and I love to engage with them. And that meet was so loud, I remember. That was the one thing that was different about that 10.0. It was like, it was me and the music and everything was in slow motion. And I was having the time of my life. It's so interesting because we, we, a lot of us play different sports, but you control what you can control and you can't worry about the rest, right? Sometimes the results are not indicative of how you did or how you felt or all the training and the preparation. So I think we can all really empathize with that, that why your favorite routine might not have been the best score. One of the videos I watched today was, was really cool because I, w I was obviously watching your routine. I, I played it back and I saw your, your teammates. They were so excited for you. They were yelling and they were singing along with it. And it's an individualized sport to some degree. But what did, what did the support and what was the camaraderie like of your teammates uh, as you guys are all going through this? Because it looked really special. It looked like there was a lot of team chemistry there. Yeah, uh, that's something you don't really experience until you get to college because it is such an individual sport, but then there's this huge emphasis where they try to make it a team thing in college, which I wasn't used to, but having sisters that support you on that level. And it's, I mean, gymnastics is competitive because we have six spots on each event. And so we wanna be in that spot, but at the end of the day, we want our team to do better than anything. So that's what's so special about having these teammates and so being there and I as much as I play with the audience I also play with my teammates because they are right there and they're so special and even I think at that meet no the meet that went viral I was laughing at my routine because I clapped off beat and some of my teammates that helped me choreograph the routine as well were just like they would stand in the corner with me so they could help me clap on beat like that's how important they are on the side so yeah that's awesome. I, I, I really love seeing that because it just shows the, the, the joy of college sports that you don't really get elsewhere. All right, so now I want to I flash the clock back. You're, you came from a gymnast household, right? I, I think your mom was a gymnast. Yeah. And then you started at three. What was your childhood like? And did you, was it something you just loved right away? Or was it something you kind of got pushed into and then you just got better and better and then you grew to love it? I think the second I stepped into the gym, I loved it. My... My mom helped uh, coach and clean. So she had, she was kind of in the gym all day and I'd come with her and I just flip and flip and flip. And it's funny that you said like, 
I don't know if you were good at three, but I was already doing back handsprings by the time I was four. And so it was something that my mom still to this day, she's like, there was something so different about you at such a young age. Started competing when I was five, which you're supposed to be six, which already is crazy to me because it's so young. But anyways, I moved when I was nine years old for gymnastics. We kind of split up the family. My dad and two of my brothers stayed back in Washington. And me, my mom, and one of my brothers decided to move to Missouri for a better gymnastics career. There were no elite programs. And that was kind of the time to do it. It's like, if you're going to make a career out of this, that's where we have to go. And so my parents were separate for 11 years or living separately, but they're still married. Uh, so I know that was really tough on them. But on top of that, I felt the burden because I felt like I was splitting my family up and everyone was relying on me almost in a sense. So when the Olympics didn't happen for me, it was really, really difficult. Um, I felt like I was a failure in my family because I know how much they had sacrificed. It was, it was kind of a crazy time. And now it's weird looking back because of the success that I've achieved without the Olympics and some of my family I know hated my mom for making that decision and now they treat us so differently because of how things ended up but I'm so thankful and grateful for my family that you know did make those sacrifices for me and yeah you've had a different upbringing than probably the majority of us or, or all of us on the call as far as being that locked in and committed to a sport so much so that your family had to sacrifice um, I should have actually thought since you're so elite, being good at three was probably, I should have I expected you to be good at three. I was just not very good. So I, I knew I wasn't very good at three either. What's the relationship now with your family now that kind of the career's over and maybe you've transitioned into kind of a new world? I am incredibly close to my family, uh, non-distance wise. And it's, I feel like I'm kind of the one person that's like separate from my family because everyone is back in Washington now and I'm out in LA and so but they're so supportive still to this day you know me and my mom had a lot of like headbutting instances when I was growing up in college uh, and now we're just super close she's really great at recognizing her faults her mistakes things like that and she'll always own up to them and she wants to grow and learn and I think that's how everyone should be so it's really, it's really special. Uh, love my family. You mentioned injuries that, and, and kind of some Olympic, I won't, I won't call it failure. And then now you, you've kind of found success elsewhere. What, what's the transition post-gym been like for you? I'm really glad I got to experience injury at a younger age because it's like every athlete, I think, experiences a dip after their career. And mine was kind of earlier on. I experienced that dip. I got to experience what it was like being a non-athlete. And so I got into writing poetry. I love writing and that was kind of my coping mechanism and savior for a lot of different things. I would say that it's been pretty smooth, especially with my routine going viral. That helped a lot. Like I hate social media sometimes, but shout out to social media because it has given me a lot of opportunities and pretty much a career right now. Welcome to the intermission. Kent, who's this group for? Is it for Super Bowl champs? Shaq. How about cross-country skiers? Shaq. How about Olympic synchronized swimmers? Triple Shaq. So it sounds like anybody who has an athlete's mindset or mentality could qualify here. 
quadruple check, Justin. This group is a rocket fuel powered community for former athletes to use their state of mind to succeed in the sport of business. Can I put you on the spot and have you give us a, your best poem? Well, my favorite one is pretty deep. It's the one that I have memorized. So it's about sexual assault, not to bring anyone down, um, but really close to my heart just because of everything that's kind of happening with the NASA trials. And I went to a museum and got inspired by, by Ana Mendieta. She has a rape scene photo. And so I think this is really important for everyone to hear. Unconscious, awake, a stranger, or friend. These are the stories we must defend. Far too often we make excuses for these offenders, but anytime you force sexual activity, you are a contender. Was it what I wore? Was I asking for that attention? They'll think I'm a whore and that it was no dissension. I laid there stripped of my dignity, questioning if it was wrong to speak malignity. Maybe it's my fault and I'm the one to blame. After all, I'm the one with ripped clothes, left bloody and bruised, feeling ashamed. But how many girls have you done this to and thought it all the same? I wanted and told you to stop after an innocent goodnight kiss. But there you ended on top too weak to fight back. All I could do was submiss. You moved my hand, I removed my hand. Don't you understand? What don't you understand? This is more than I can withstand. What if I didn't even know you when I was walking down the street? You pushed me down and dragged me somewhere discreet. Did your actions help make you feel complete? Did I not scream no loud enough? People will think this is all a bluff because there are sick people out that, there that make up this stuff to take someone's life away and put them in handcuffs, but you took mine away and it didn't even seem tough. It only took you a few moments to take everything you stole, but believe me, your everlasting presence has taken much more than just its physical toll. This weight that I carry as a burden is weighing me below. I felt worthless and useless. You took my dignity and beat it senseless. You selfish. There are no words to describe people like you. This only depicts half of what people go through. About one in six females are raped throughout their lifetime, and out of that, about 33% of these females contemplate suicide, while 13% actually do. This leaves a deeper, more permanent mark than any tattoo. Talk about permanent, let's talk about pregnancy. What a constant reminder to live with endlessly, and that's not even where it ends, because now you gave me an STD. The results came back and read hepatitis B. And let's talk about men that get raped, because I know one that has been. But with a man, what excuses will our society begin? Isn't he supposed to be tough? He must be into that stuff. We're finally hearing out women, isn't that enough? Enough, enough. Listen to me when I say we have the right to say no without reason. A no does not give you the right to continue, that's treason. We're stronger than you now when we're fighting harder. There will be change, this is just a starter. At what point will you realize it wasn't yours to take? Because clearly it didn't matter that it was our life that was at stake. Wow, that's, God, that's maybe the heaviest thing I've heard in 11 years of athletes touched. That's. That's pretty incredible. So I was actually going to ask you about Larry Nasser and kind of the, the gymnastics world. So in his, in his well-intentioned way to segue into that as possible, because that was, that was amazing. And I, I actually want to like hear it back because uh, I was so strong, but was it something that you experienced at least close enough to you personally? Like what's the industry, not to say industry, but what's the gymnastics world been like since the fallout, the trial, the Olympic athletes talking about it, it seems so prevalent across the board for for young girls and older older women alike just take us through that whole your lens because we see it from the media side or what we read about but what's it been like for you so i worked really closely with larry 
and especially when I was going through my back injuries, I mean, he was kind of the person that I don't know if you guys have watched Athlete A, if you have a chance to watch it, it's on Netflix. It's a really good documentary that kind of explains the lens and the things that a lot of the USAG team members experienced. And I remember being younger. Someone will even say this in the documentary. He was the one adult that we trusted, we relied on. He was the one that brought us hope, kind of comfort. And so back when we were younger, I remember someone coming up to me and being like, Larry got really, really close to, you know, my vagina. And it was like, we looked at each other and then we kept going on with our day. We didn't know what it meant. We didn't really think twice about it. And it was kind of like, he does that to everyone. So it was like, all right, let's keep going. That person came out and it took them a really, really long time too. And even when I talked to them directly about it, they were like, I don't, I don't think it was, it, it happened. And so it was like this suppressed thing because of things from their past traumas. And I don't know, sometimes I question why it never happened to me. I'm grateful that it didn't. When the trials came about, it brought up a lot of abuse within the culture of gymnastics. So it wasn't just about the sexual assaults, it was the culture that had been created to allow that type of behavior to continue. If Michigan State would have responded, it makes me sick that five, over 500 girls would have been not abused or put in that position. Do you think the gymnastics world will overcome it or do you think it's something that is uh, systemic? I mean, do you think it's gonna, people are gonna move on and this, there's some silver lining in this? It, I think there is a huge silver lining because a lot of deep-rooted issues with the gymnastics have been brought to light. We're in this like very sensitive pendulum, which definitely needs to happen. You can see it all over the world today. We are swinging into that to raise awareness. And a lot of gymnasts are still coming out with their stories to this day of you know, traumas and abuse that we're seeing in gymnastics. The organization USAG is going through a huge transition and it's hard because companies are kind of boycotting USAG, which I totally understand, but at the same time, girls that are the generation below that never went through Larry Nassar are experiencing the downsides because they don't have funding. USAG is in so much debt and all the lawsuits that are happening are kind of affecting them as well. So either USAG needs to be completely abolished and they start restart again, with like a really good checks and balance system. But right now you still have girls, especially Simone Biles, who were under Larry Nassar and have gone through that. And she has probably the biggest voice and can create change, but it's like, she still doesn't trust USAG. So what do you do if you're trying to compete for them, but you don't like them, you don't trust them, and they have lost so much respect. So I hope they can figure it out soon. Is it something that it will come from grassroots, people like you, other athletes that have gone through it that might take more of a leadership role, whether in voice or as far as joining the organization to make sure that this stuff never happens again? Is that something that's inspiring to you? Or is it more, I say what I feel and I will end up leaving this to others who want to carry the torch? That's a good question. I feel like it's almost like the whoever's running for election this year, like, a hard job to fill um and trying to you know help renew the organization the country everything like that so 
I personally, I feel like gymnastics has been there for me for 19 years and I would love to continue being in that world, but there's a, so much other stuff that I want to get involved in. So maybe later in life, if it still needs to be figured out, then I can come back, but I'm hoping it'll be in the hands of someone that knows what they're doing. What do you think will give you or be, I don't want to say that gymnastics was the only thing that was fulfilling, but like a lot of us, when you transition, it's hard to replicate the feeling of going through sport or being with your teammates that you talked about. But what do you think is going to give you that kind of that, that same feeling? Ugh, I crave performance. I like love adrenaline and challenges. And so that was something that sports gave me. I think finding different challenges and things that make me nervous, like speaking makes me incredibly nervous. <laughs> Um, so continuing to do my speaking engagements is awesome. And I think, I don't know, I am torn because I love being behind the camera, but I also love being in front of it. And so there's some talk of certain things that hopefully will still happen after COVID clears up, if it ever does, but hopefully in 2022, I'll be back in kind of performance mode and doing things that kind of challenge me and get me excited, give me adrenaline. Yeah, I, I can see you're, you're looking for that next, that next adrenaline rush to get behind and, and dive into. What are some of the things that you want to accomplish now? I would, uh, so I've actually been working on a lot of creative projects, especially this time now has given me time to sit down and really kind of get involved in what I want to do my like biggest commercial just dropped actually Saturday. And so it was a Toyota commercial that we filmed out in Cape Town. But along with that, I'm trying to get into kind of more behind the cameras work than in front. I have started stuff with poetry and creating images and videos along with that. So I'm trying to get into content creative directing as well as writing. And uh, I wouldn't, I don't love producing, but I have been producing two videos that I've just filmed during this time. And I hope to continue going with that. I, I would love to do a podcast. I run poetry nights every Thursday on Zoom. And so trying to expand that and hopefully when things open up, I want to start a travel open mic thing. And yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, you got to start, you start your own podcast. You have so much stuff to share and, and inspire. Uh, I think we'd all sub subscribe to that. So you, you can have 21, 20 followers right away, in addition to your million on social media. All right, I'm, we're going to wrap up on this one. Scott asks about kind of some of your charity work that you're doing, uh, self-esteem, mental health, awareness. Is that a calling for you as well? I um, do a lot of mental health panels. I think it's really important and I talk a lot about body shaming, and that was something that I got to, into during college. I started my blog and writing uh, has kind of came to a halt, but one of the things that I try to incorporate within my poetry, which you guys saw with that last one, is I incorporate a lot of social issues. So uh, my last video, or my second video and last video that I recorded so far was actually about body shaming, where I got to roll and cake and kind of show this celebration of indulgence and love of uh, your body and something that's kind of like, I know growing up 
And still to this day, it's kind of like, you only have cake when it's a celebration. It's kind of, I incorporated the famous Matilda scene where she kind of just, he has to like shove cake in his mouth. And so I do that in terms of just trying to just kind of get rid of what everyone thinks about their body. Like hating ourselves is such a sad thing that everyone's so used to doing. I try to talk a lot about self-love because I think it's one of the most amazing things and yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what I'm getting into. I also think domestic violence is a really big part of my life and I am trying to do work with that and getting involved with Heal to Vote right now. So hopefully I'll continue with those things. I do charity events as well for a lot of different organizations, a lot of children, St. Jude's and Make-A-Wish Foundation. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, as someone else, like others who have daughters on this call, you are an inspiration to all of us. I hope you come back. I hope you continue to be in front of the camera as well as behind. Thank you very much, Caitlin. Thank you guys for opening your arms and welcoming me. Another great story in the books. Who's inspired with me? Kent, where do people go from here? God, Justin, I'm so glad you asked me that question. Everybody today, we're so excited to have you on this show. If you're interested in our Rocket Fuel Accelerator, if you'd like to join membership at Athletes Touch, go to our awesome website at www.athletestouch.co and we'll see you soon. If you want to look us up on our social handles, LinkedIn and Twitter, Athletes Touch, at Athletes Touch. Thanks, guys.